It's the Bible Rundown. We're here with Pastor Rob, Pastor David, and special guest Pastor Steve on the mic this morning. It's day 156, 2 Chronicles 23, 24, and John 15. I am the branch. I'm the vine. You are the branches, David, not... You are the branch. Yeah, I am the branch uh, that 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 is connected to the vine. Hopefully, and uh, not hopefully, but I am, because Christ says it according to His Word, and we trust the Word of God. Therefore, yes. we believe. Yes. <clears throat> now, uh, when we get to Second Chronicles, we got these these characters: Joash. We got the character, uh, <clears throat> um, the high priest. Um, and his son, Zechariah Jehoiada, interesting characters, interesting storyline here. What, what, what do you see? Well, we, we bring up the idea of covenant again, right? 2316. And it seems like for us, it's not a word that we use a lot, right? We talk about marriage covenant, <clears throat> yeah. but in the church, we don't really speak of covenants as often as what the word of God refers to it. Yeah. And so it's interesting that the priest makes a covenant between himself and the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. There's a lot of gospel theme in that, right? Man. The new covenant is entered into with us by God through his son, right? Christ. So that we can be in a covenant relationship with God. Mm. And so the priest will make sacrifice for the people, pointing us to Christ. Yeah, um, It's a beautiful image. But I think this, this connection again with the priest and the king is something that I think we need to, to pay attention to as well. And I was thinking about it. I saw the other day, my, my girls were watching Princess Diaries, right? And there were like this religious scene with her being crowned Princess of Genovia, right? Right. Yeah. And we saw recently King Charles, anointed king in a right. religious ceremony. And for me, I think it, there's a big theme that we haven't really talked about, but all earthly authority is ultimately instituted by who and for whom. Right. God. By God. For and God. so it's critical for us like to see that these priests are anointing a king to represent God's people because he is God's chosen man. And so when these kings act against the Lord and his word, that's why it's such a grievous thing. Right. Why the Lord spits wrath out on him like we're going to see in chapter 24. Yeah. I, I, I think that's interesting. When you put the word covenant, as we've seen throughout the these, these Old Testament scriptures, it often has to do with reform. They're making covenant before God in, in a repentance-type of um, <clears throat> conviction type of action that says we're going to be God's people. And um, it's interesting because, you know, it's up and down, up and down, all the way through. It's a roller coaster of God's people here in the Old Testament. As they serve the Lord, they are God's people, and then they get away from serving the Lord. They forget the law. They forget all the, the commands, and now they, they have to have a covenant to come back to be God's people. Um, it's interesting, Joash is seven years old and Jehoiada actually kind of takes over uh, in, in directing Israel back to the Lord. Um, you know, Atalia, she's, she's a wicked woman and she's executed here. But 
it's it's so interesting as Joe Ash gets older that he forgets the ways of God and forgets what the Lord has done and yeah. all the things that have happened through Jehoiada and at, at an early age, what, what God has done. Well, look at uh, verse 15 of chapter 24. Jehoiada lives to be 130 years old. And so God, I think, is demonstrating his grace and letting this, this one priest remain for so long to help guard the nation against their sin. But as soon as he's off the picture, to your point, what happens? I mean, Joash listens to the princes around him, and they forsake the Lord, and they suffer his punishment. And so what does God raise up to bring him back? A new prophet, Zechariah. Yeah. The Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. I love that wording, right? Like, the baptism of the Spirit is what Jesus uses. The clothing of the Spirit I love the wording of you think about the spirit of the living God is coming upon you and you are clothed in it. Yeah. Well, for me, like when we look at the covenant, the, the people always fail in the covenant, but there is one person that remains faithful in the covenant. And that's God throughout all this. And when we point even to Christ, God is faithful to giving his son. So, that process here, God's still being faithful because he sends him another prophet. Mm-hmm. God's being still faithful while we forget and we forget the covenant. So we have to rely on God to remember the covenant. We have to rely on God. This is God's work more than it is us. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's the one thing that God is faithful <laughs> He's the one that his yeah. steadfast love endures forever. Yeah. Not, not Steve, not Rob, not any of the prophets, not anybody. Right. Only through Jesus Christ. Christ's faithfulness. We can get that. But I think we're constantly reminded who is faithful here to the covenant that we make. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, Lord, help us out. <laughs> and we make a covenant with him. And he's like, all right, I will remain faithful to that covenant even though you are not going to. And I think... That reminds us of how awesome and great our God really is and how good he is. Yeah. I think it's interesting here at the end, David, uh, we get to a point where Joash kills uh, Zechariah, the the high priest, and uh, has him stoned. And it's interesting... the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. And as he was dying, he said, may the Lord see and avenge. So there's a lot going on here. Number one, he's he's a martyr because he told them that, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper because the Lord has forsaken, because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. He gave them words that they did not want to hear and they ended up stoning him much Allah, much like Christ, but but here, instead of saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he says, may the Lord see and avenge. Mm-hmm. Is he right in saying that? Are, are we, are we, why does Christ say what he says versus Zachariah say what he says? What, 
what it's interesting the difference here between Zechariah and Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and may the Lord see and avenge. The contrast. Yeah, but wouldn't you be the same? Sure. We all would, right? Because we don't see things through the the view of a holy God. Right. And so I think Christ, we've, we've talked about this the other day, but when Jesus is described as John as knowing the hearts of men so he doesn't entrust himself to them, right? he understands their hearts are, are spiritually blind. And so he can intercede for those that need interceding. I think what we shouldn't confuse is that there's not an appeal for mercy by Zechariah, right? right? What is he dealing with here? He's dealing with God's chosen people that have forsaken his word and refused to repent and and come back. So I think he's perfectly just in saying what he said, right? And he's ultimately, he's he's entrusting it to who? God is the rightful judge. I think we get really hung up as Christians to think we should always just have this level of grace that always results in mercy. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay Right for right. us to understand the righteousness of God, mm-hmm. that it's okay to appeal to His judgment on wickedness, mm-hmm. because if we get in this camp that we start to sympathize with wickedness, right. we're really losing sight of we're the holiness of God. With wickedness, and it and it's going to water down the gospel. Jehoshaphat had a problem with that. Yeah, it's going to water down the gospel in my own life because I no longer view David as the one that was depraved and needed a savior. Right. Right. It's these other people need it. Sure. And so I think it's like, no, we appeal to the mercy of God because we see his judgment. I think Zechariah here is looking at his life and saying, Lord, I've been faithful to you. Like, avenge my blood, right? right. Like, bring back on these people the judgment you promised. And mm-hmm. it's a tough, tough balance, but I think we shouldn't think that his reaction was wrong because what's interesting too, Jesus references Zechariah, mm-hmm. right? Whom you murdered. Right. And so, in a sense, how does the Lord see and avenge? Mm-hmm. He gives him Christ. Yeah. An even greater example of self-sacrifice. Yeah. They still reject. And, and, and that's a really good point. You have to separate the character and nature of God with judgment and grace. And how does he do that? He does that on the cross. And so it's, it's, it's perfectly understandable that Christ upon the cross as he is presenting himself as the sacrificial lamb, is actually pleading for mercy for sinners because of the act of grace of Christ on the cross. And so I think what we see on Christ on the cross is this just is, is the beauty of the gospel. What we see here is the reality or the truth of the deserving wrath of God upon sinners. Yeah. And really, with the exception of Moses and maybe a handful of others, there are very few Old Testament characters that display that interceding attitude. And that's okay, because when we look at Moses, he's to prefigure Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And so... David. It's tough. All these characters. Yep. All right. uh, John 15, we got to go there. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, there's some strong warnings about not abiding in Christ. Yeah. So you go back to Zechariah's prayer, but look at Jesus' own words. If anyone doesn't abide in me, in verse 6, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, and they're what? Thrown into the fire. Thrown into the fire and burned. Um, that word abide, 
You got any thoughts for that, Steve? I think it's I think it's part of like what we talk about even as a church. There's multiple levels to abiding with God. I think it's life on life in community, but I do think it's in prayer, it's in reading God's scripture, it's devotional time, it's seeking God when we're dealing with struggles, like we even this week's sermon. There's an abiding when we're tired, we're worn out, we abide in Him, we wait on Him to complete good works. Uh, abiding has, I think, multiple levels that go into that because I think it's a daily choice and process that we abide in Him. It's so easy for us to rely on ourselves and constantly look at what we're going to do how we're going to do this and we don't usually as this says produce fruit when it's us doing the work the fruit comes from when we abide in God we allow him to give us that life to yeah. give us to feed us everything that we need that living water so to speak right so can we choose not to abide <clears throat> so in other words is Jesus saying you can choose to abide in me, but when you choose not to abide in me, I'm going to throw you out and burn you? What, how are we to interpret verse 6? They are responsible, right? There's a responsibility of man, I think, yeah. that, that is given here, and we clearly see that in the scriptures. They're responsible for abiding in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. I think I think the 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 thing that I don't think is focused on as much is the goal of this is not to abide in Christ. The goal is to bear fruit. And so when we when we focus upon living for the glory of God, then we're going to automatically abide. That that's the way that we live for the glory of God is abiding in Christ Jesus. And so, when we decide, uh, make a covenant, make a conviction that we say, "I <clears throat> want to live for the glory of God," what you're going to do is abide in Christ. Is how is how is how it it, it works. But if you're not connected to the vine, um, then you have a problem. Um, so, uh, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. These are hard, hard things to, to hear, but this is, right? Like, if you are called by God as a child of God, you're going to respond to that gospel in walking the path of Christ and living for his glory. I mean, ultimately, you're saved to live for the glory of God. You're not saved to go to heaven. You're not saved so that you could have a, uh, <clears throat> a fire insurance. You're saved for the glory of God. So if you get that right, then obviously your life and discipleship is is a lot easier. <laughs> Here's my question, though, like to bring it in okay. just a little bit today. All right, bring it in. So like... The American church is slowly dying. Is it because they're not abiding in the Lord? I think, or it's is it because, like, <clears throat> we look at like internationally, it, it's growing. 
But I think I think it's I think it's I think one of the reasons why they're not abiding is they didn't lay the foundation of the gospel to begin with. Okay. So there's no reason to abide in Christ if I came and prayed a prayer of salvation and now I really don't need need to live for the glory of God. I can live for myself. But when you're saved to live for the glory of God, then you want to abide in Christ. The gospel drives discipleship. The gospel drives growth in our life. And when that is the driving force for why we believe what we believe is because we're so grateful and thankful for this God who has given us salvation and we understand uh, you know, how he has done that, then all we can do is want and desire to live for the glory of God. And God gives us the power through his spirit to do that. Then my second response is to this is as we become more abiding in the Lord, what comes? The world hates you for it. Like, this isn't a popularity contest where we're now going to be have nothing but good feelings, good times, prosperity gospel, so to speak. Um, it seems that the world becomes angry at you as you abide in the Lord. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the theme carried over from the end of 14 through 15 is abiding is tied in my mind to obedience and obedience is tied to a response to God's love for you. You want to obey God because you want to remain in God's love demonstrated for you in Christ. Mm. And so you'll do what Jesus commanded you to do. Mm. But I think where most people have been discipled in the past is you do things to get more of God's love. And Mm. I think it's, Mm. we've switched it, right? Mm. And I think Jesus is warning against that with the branches. I don't think it's necessarily tied to anything other than if you know my love and you abide Mm. in my love, you'll do what I command. Mm. But you're going to do it in response to my love for you. Mm. And it ties in with other earlier commands where Jesus says, yeah, you did these things in my name, but I never knew you. And so for us, it's this dire warning from Jesus, I think, that says where it ends at the end, we need the helper. We need the Holy Spirit who not only testifies that we are in Christ, but will also give us understanding of how we need to apply this in our life and teaching others the same. And so, yeah, I think the hatred of the world is derived from the fact that they don't know the love of God and they reject the love of God. Mm -hmm. It's not so much that they're rejecting us in what we do as Christians. Yeah. It's that, no, they never loved God in the first place. Yeah. And so their hatred is for God's love, which does require something of them, right? Yeah. Humility and repentance. Right. But all these things Jesus is showing us are done in love in response to his love for us, so why wouldn't we want to obey? It's a good word. Thanks, guys. We'll see you tomorrow.